Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. And Glenn Leverins. This is Morning Air. On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Wake up, America. It's Thursday, January 26, 2023. Good morning and welcome back to another edition of Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverance and our studio producer, Sarah Tafoya. Thanks so much for making us a part of your morning here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. On Thursdays, we always remember the institution of the Holy Eucharist on Holy Thursday by our Lord Jesus Christ. So try to make a visit to the Blessed Sacrament uh, sometime today, if you can, if you can just take a moment to stop in and say hello to our Lord, or if you can't, uh, at least try to do it sometime this week. Now, yesterday we celebrated the Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul the Apostle. Today, we honor two of Paul's companions and disciples in the memorial of Saints Timothy and Titus, two bishops of the Catholic Church in its earliest days. Father James Kabicki will join us in hour number two to talk about Saints Timothy and Titus. Of course, you can always find us on Twitter and Facebook at Morning Air Show and send us an email, our address, morningair at relevantradio.com. I want to bring in our Morning Air team like we do every morning, Glenn and Sarah. Glenn, what are a few of the big stories that are making headlines on this Thursday morning? Well, believe it or not, one of our former presidents is in the news. Uh, so what <laughs> else is new? Of, uh, <laughs> as the president of uh, Global Affairs at Meta, the, the parent company of Facebook and Instagram, saying he's no longer a serious risk to public safety, uh, they're going to allow President Trump back on Facebook and Instagram. And so uh, in an attempt to you know get more, more eyeballs on their platforms, uh, there we go. I want what his first post will be do you think it will be like a meal do you think it will be <laughs> a, a birthday post to some friend or family member what do you think he's going to do you know the question is will he post will he actually go back to, uh, to facebook because uh, for the last uh, couple of years since 2021 when he was banned uh, from various platforms uh, he's only been on uh, truth social so we're not sure. Uh, you know, he who, oh. who knows? He may throw us a curveball and post uh, about his golf game. I understand he was bragging about it just the other day. <laughs> he won't be able to resist, I am sure. And uh, since he's running for president again, it would make sense to, you know, get the more publicity he can out there. So yeah. that's, uh, that's one of the things going on today. And, and, he, uh, and he did make a statement yesterday, uh, basically, you know, criticizing Facebook for losing a ton of money. And he said that such a thing should never again happen to a sitting president or anybody else who is not deserving of retribution. So he still maintains two years later that he was unfairly banned. Well, I think part of it, too, the great success of social media, something that hadn't been regulated much because it was such a brand new thing and technically a private enterprise, but became so big that, you know, people have to look at fairness issues. Uh, you know, we'll look back in the history books uh, or people will in the in the future at uh, an unusual time when that could, could actually happen. Absolutely. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes and his sprained ankle. He says that he will be ready to play. He'll be able to go on Sunday in the AFC Championship game against the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, 
Wow. I, for a guy like him who uh, counts on his mobility, being able to run around and find the open man, uh, having a sprained ankle definitely is an issue. One of the most exciting players in the game. Everybody wants to see how he's going to do. And, uh, you know, he was hobbling a little bit uh, the last game after he was hurt, taken out, and put back in, but still uh, still effective. He's played through some difficulties like that in the past and uh, you know, makes it maybe a, a little closer game. Cincinnati, uh, no slouch, is a team that'll be uh, traveling to uh, Kansas City, and, and they won this matchup last year. Yes, we'll uh, see uh, just uh, at what percent uh, Patrick Mahomes is uh, come a game day on Sunday. Uh, earlier uh, in that afternoon uh, in the NFC Championship game, uh, the 49ers uh, will take on the Philadelphia Eagles uh, in Philly. So uh, big weekend. Uh, sometimes these championship games are actually more exciting and better games than the actual Super Bowl. Yeah, absolutely. For football fans, uh, this is a big day this Sunday. Uh, the the uh, two of the last three games of the year. We're going to find out who's going to be in the Super Bowl. Uh, you may not want to miss that, although you'll be glad that our next story is about something that is going to miss us, but we might feel the, the wind in our hair as it buzzes by. There's a huge asteroid expected to fly by Earth later on this evening, about 627 Central Time. Uh, it'll be 10 times closer than some communication satellites. It's the size of a delivery truck, this asteroid making a, a, you know, a celestial very close call to us tonight. Well, I, for one, am very happy that <laughs> it's going to be passing us because I would really hate for us to have to revisit that Armageddon movie where we have to go find some oil riggers to fly up to the moon and drill down to break any asteroids in half so that we can uh, stay alive for uh, another however many years so the next asteroid comes back and really don't want to have to go back to uh, any of that sad stuff that was in that movie. So I'm glad it's passing right by. And I, I don't mind if it blows a little extra wind in my hair. And unfortunately for us uh, up here in the Northern Hemisphere, we probably won't be able to see it since it's uh, scheduled to uh, um, come closest to the Earth down in the tip of South America. So that's uh, too far away for an asteroid the size Oof. of a delivery oh. truck. So uh, yeah, it uh, doesn't matter. Uh, you, you can't use your binoculars to, to find it tonight. Oh, good enough, good enough. But uh, yeah, you're just wondering whether it's going to be brown or white or what color that delivery truck it'll be uh, flying by you know and <laughs> not a FedEx you know, if it is was, it <laughs> no if it was headed for my house it wouldn't fly by that's the problem it would it, it, sure. it has but, something uh, to deliver Glenn <laughs> a, f a interesting uh, story here this morning especially for the people down there in South America who might be able to get a glimpse of it as always thanks so much uh, Glenn and Sarah hey sure thing John we begin every morning as we do in prayer, always giving thanks to our Lord for all the many blessings through the intercession of our blessed Mother Mary, the Mother of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, Pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, a patroness of the unborn and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of relevant radio, pray for us. And we invoke the Holy Spirit every single morning here on the show, and we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, this morning, we're going to continue with our relatively new University of Mary Prime Matter series, uh, which seeks to help shape the and form the minds of the Catholic faithful to better see and engage the world from an authentic Catholic worldview. Today, we're going to talk about engaging secular modernity. Joining us live is Monsignor James Shea, the president of the University of Mary and a regular contributor to Morning Air and Relevant Radio. To learn much more about the University of Mary, visit cometomary.life. Good morning, Monsignor Shea. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Great to be with you once again. Good morning, John. Wonderful to be with you, too. Thanks for having me on. Well, Monsignor, uh, before we get into our uh, topic this morning, I wanted to get uh, your uh, uh, take on how the rest of uh, that long trip for uh, you and the University of Mary students uh, to the March for Life went. Uh, It it was quite uh, a historic March for Life. Yeah, I want to say, John, it was so beautiful to be on with you the very morning of the March for Life. Of course, we had all of those buses of students from the University of Mary down there joining hundreds and thousands, hundreds of thousands of others at our nation's capital to celebrate the demise, to celebrate the fall of Roe versus Wade, and to march for life for legal protection of the unborn child. And so right after I spoke with you, we headed over to St. Dominic's Church, and we had Mass with all of the other pilgrims from North Dakota, because there were several uh, Catholic high schools that joined us as well in our nation's capital. And so the church was packed. We had a beautiful mass. And then we walked over to the Rally for Life. And they had all kinds of wonderful speakers. Tony Dungy was there, of course, and uh, Jonathan Rumi, who plays Jesus in the series The Chosen, uh, spoke as well. And then political representatives and and, uh, others, one of the Sisters of Life and her own sister, who has Down syndrome, uh, spoke to us. It was really beautiful. And then we marched past the Capitol, around the back of the Capitol, to the Supreme Court. And it was joyful. It was prayerful. It was deeply edifying to see people of all different backgrounds and convictions coming together for the cause of unborn human life and to protect life from conception to natural death. And so that was a very beautiful event. The following day, uh, before we headed back to North Dakota, we went to the Cardinal O'Connor Conference on Life, which is sponsored every year by a brave and wonderful group of students at Georgetown University. And so Georgetown University has a, has a pro-life student group that has every year a conference on the day following the March for Life. And I thought, with all of our students from the University of Mary, I wanted to go over and to support these students. And they had wonderful speakers. We went there, but we did have sort of a jolt, John, as we entered the campus of Georgetown University, and my students hadn't really seen something like this. There was a huge group of of Georgetown students who uh, are part of Hoyas for Choice, which is a pro-abortion group on the campus of Georgetown University, and they uh, were were staging a counter-demonstration, and so uh, they were shouting obscenities and great hostility toward the students as we entered into the building uh, where the conference was going to take place. And for my students uh, who go to school in the middle of North Dakota, that was quite a jolt. Um, and, uh, and so uh, it was good for us to be able to remind them of the great hostility that we sometimes have to face as pro-lifers and what it means to stand up for what's true and right. And sometimes that means 
that you have to be extra courageous and you have to show charity to those who aren't willing to show charity to you. And then we, of course, made the long trek back uh, to North Dakota. Um, and so it was, a, it was an historic event, as you said, and, um, and the university is just so glad to be able to participate year after year in the March for Life. The students who didn't go to our nation's capital took place in the North Dakota March for Life on the steps of the North Dakota State Capitol, having mass with our bishop here in Bismarck. And so it was a beautiful day, and of course, uh, we're just so grateful for the chance as a university to unite around the cause of life each and every year. And Monsignor, just a quick thought. Uh, you would not expect that kind of a so-called counter-demonstration at a uh, Catholic university like Georgetown. It's had to be shocking to the kids, but it's also a reminder that uh, not all Catholic universities are built the same like the University of Mary. Well, yeah, I, I think that, that if a university doesn't deeply root itself in its Catholic identity, and this is something that John Paul II reminds us of. Of course, you and I love John Paul II. He reminds us of this in his Apostolic Constitution for Catholic Universities, Ex Corde Ecclesiae, that a university, a Catholic university, has to consecrate itself without reserve to the cause of truth. And something like protection of unborn human life is something which is central to our mission. And so it is possible, though, uh, for universities to forget uh, their identity. And, um, and so that's a, that's a sad thing. But it's a reality in our world, and it's important for our students to be able to encounter that. Absolutely, which I think is a perfect segue into our topic this morning, uh, engaging uh, secular modernity, which is based uh, on a discussion that you had with Dr. Ryan Anderson a while back, uh, who is uh, quite an expert, a national expert on how to engage uh, with the modern non-Christian world. Um, What are your thoughts on on that uh, conversation, and uh, is it possible uh, for us as Catholics to to engage with the modern world, or are our values uh, just uh, have grown too far apart? Sure. So what's interesting is Dr. Ryan Anderson, of course, is the president of the Ethics and Public Policy Center in Washington, D.C., and he's a big public intellectual. I saw him, John, during the March for Life. It's so amazing because, you know, there are hundreds of thousands of people thronging on Constitution Avenue. You don't, you don't really expect to see anybody that you know. But every single year I see dozens and dozens of people that I know because the Catholic world and the pro-life world really are quite small in a certain sense. Um, so anyway, I saw Dr. Ryan Anderson. He was there with his wife and children. They were pushing a stroller, uh, all bundled up because, you know, they live on the East Coast, so they're a little bit weak of constitution. None of us from North Dakota had a single coat. <laughs> it oh, was wow. beautiful. <laughs> you know, it was in the mid-50s. Oh, yeah, and yeah. And so we, we, we thought it was great. But anyway, so I saw him out there. The conversation that he and I had on Prime Matters about engaging secular modernity does touch upon these questions, because it is the case that in our culture there is a growing hostility to Christian and certainly to Catholic values, and that uh, that can cause us to want to just circle the wagons and to say, we just need to live our faith and not uh, and hope that everybody leaves us alone. Now, of course, that's not what Jesus instructs us to do in the Gospels. We're meant to engage the world. We're meant to preach the Gospel in season and out of season 
and sometimes that means that we have to expect persecution. And so that was, that was one of the things. It's not just that we can. You ask if we can engage secular modernity or if we're just too far apart. We actually have a mandate to engage the world in which we live. Christians in every age and time need to engage the world with the message of the truth, with the confidence that Jesus gives us, that he has granted to us in the gospel, in the message that he came to bring. And by his death and resurrection, he has entrusted us with the truth about ourselves, about the world in which we live, and the truth about God. And that it's not right for us just to keep that for ourselves, that we need to engage the world and preach, preach that uh, to the world in every way that we can, to witness to it. And sometimes, of course, in, in the early ages of Christianity and all throughout the history of the Church, that has meant in various times and places martyrdom. At a university, of course, that engagement takes on a particular tenor and tone. And so it's important for us to recognize, and I deal, deal with and care for young people all the time, John. And so it's easy for us to shake our fist and to say that this increasing secularity is the result of secular ideologues who are forcing their values down the food chain on all of us. And I think that there is, uh, there are ideologues, there are activists who are, who are around, especially in the world of universities, who are attempting to do that. But we also have to admit the fact that virtue and living a good life and holding to gospel values is very hard to do. It's not easy. And uh, it's much easier to say, no, I'm going to live for myself. I'm going to actualize myself. I'm going to try to get the most personal liberty that I can. But the results of that on an individual human life and on our society are devastating, which is why it's so important, not just that we engage secular modernity, but that we give young people the training and the education that they need to be able, and the inspiration, too, that they need to be able to choose to live a heroic life, a life which is filled with virtue and truth and goodness and doesn't go down the wrong path. Uh, Monsignor Shea, when you, when you talk about uh, secular modernity, are we we're talking about an anti-God, a godless uh, philosophy uh, where you, you live practically as if God doesn't even exist? Yeah, that's right. And I think it, 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 it's tied to this question, which we've touched upon briefly already, of personal liberty. In other words, the idea is that God and my freedom are somehow in competition, and that's unbearable. And so as a result, I need to throw off God so that I can be who I'm meant to be and be who I want to be. This finds particular uh, expression, John, in the sexual revolution, which is one of the flashpoints of the clash between Christianity and secular modernity. Uh, and it, when, when one looks at that, ostensibly the sexual revolution is meant to be about sort of asserting the equality between men and women, between the sexes. And certainly there's deep value in that, and we've made tremendous strides in respect to that. But some of the outgrowth of other aspects of the sexual revolution have been really devastating. When we look at how it's taken a grip upon our culture, in terms of human flourishing, 
it's been an utter disaster. We've got millions of unborn babies who have been killed as a result of abortion, millions of women who have been used and abused and abandoned, millions of men and women who have become addicted to pornography, and millions of children have grown up without a meaningful relationship with their father. And those are just some of the wounds that have come as a result of that. This is why it's so important for the gospel to be present in the midst of our civilization, and why it's so important for Christians and Catholics to witness, not just because we want uh, the truth of our faith to have an effect upon our own lives, but because we see that the abandonment of, for instance, marriage as a central institution and chastity as a virtue, the, the abandonment of those values by our culture have been devastating in terms of general human flourishing and happiness. The world is hurting, and it's hurting badly as a result of this disconnection. And everything you've just described is even more reason why we should really value um, education, especially a Catholic education that gives you that foundation uh, to be able to go out into the world and, and share our faith and, and really live a virtue-filled life. That's absolutely right. And so, um, so we put a lot of effort at a place like the University of Maryland. Thank God we're not the only ones who are engaged in this. There are great institutions all across the country who are thinking carefully, and great families, too, uh, many among our listeners, who are thinking carefully about what it means to educate the young, to equip them not just with facts and figures, but with the perspective and the formation necessary to be able to live a free, full, and holy life. In other words, we're not simply talking. We're not simply talking when we, when we speak about a Christian worldview, when we talk about the Catholic imaginative vision in our project of Prime Matters. We're not just talking, John, about um, getting people to do things and not do other things. We're not talking about simply regulating the action of people. We're talking about a deeper kind of human freedom, which is the holiness of the saints, whereby we're able, again, as John Paul II said, to make a full and free gift of our lives to the world and to others, a world that so desperately needs saints, the witness of those who have been completely taken by the truth of God and who are willing to live that out in all of its beautiful ramification and all of its beautiful consequences. And so that's a beautiful, it's a beautiful image that we place before our students every day. We don't want them just to be smart people. We don't want them just to be well-educated or to be good at their professions. We want them to, to grow into the sainthood for which they were created. And that is an honor and joy for us to accompany them on that, on that beautiful path. Well, uh, Monsignor Shea, I really ap appreciate uh, you being with us here this morning. Uh, always value your perspective, and this is such an important uh, issue. Uh, we, we have such a, a, a battle before us uh, in this battle between the culture of life and the, uh, the culture of death, uh, between uh, truth and error uh, in our society. Really appreciate it uh, so much. John, I appreciate it, too. It's so wonderful that Relevant Radio is getting the good message out about the truth of our faith. The world needs it. Absolutely. Thanks again. Monsignor James Shea, the president of the University of Mary and, of course, a regular contributor to Morning Air. To learn much more about the University of Mary, visit cometomary.life.
We need to take a short break. When we come back, uh, you'll hear my conversation with Catholic apologist William Albrecht, who uh, spoke to us about uh, the Word of God and the importance of really studying and uh, meditating on sacred scripture as Catholics. So stay with us as Morning Air continues on this Thursday here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Sarah. Thanks so much for joining us on this Thursday morning. Our power of scripture from the playbook of life this morning is from Galatians 2.20. The Apostle St. Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The Apostle St. Paul reminds us that if we are united to the cross of Christ, we have died to our former ways, especially our enslavement to sin. If we live the grace of our baptism as a new creation in Christ, living out our faith in Christ, working deeds of love, then the life of Christ lives in us, and we can shine the light of our Lord Jesus Christ for all the world to see. And we always pray with great confidence, Jesus, I trust in you. Now, the great scripture scholar, St. Jerome, who translated the Bible into Latin, famously said, ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ. Last Sunday, the third Sunday of Ordinary Time, uh, the Catholic Church celebrated the Word of God Sunday. Why did Pope Francis dedicate a day to meditate on the Word of God, and what is the importance of a sacred scripture for us as Catholics. I recently spoke to Morning Air contributor and Catholic convert, our resident apologist, William Albrecht, about Word of God Sunday and a Catholic perspective on the Bible. William is an international speaker and debater. He has uh, he runs a website uh, called patristicpillars.com, which is dedicated to the early church fathers. He's also the author of several books, including the Definitive Guide to Solving Biblical Questions about Mary. So here's the first part of my conversation with William Albright. Good morning, Brother William. Thanks so much for joining us once again. Great to be with you uh, here uh, in uh, mid-January. I can still say Happy New Year to you. It is such a magnificent topic to talk about during this season that we're in. Well, this is one of my favorite topics uh, in, in the whole world, and it's, it's so uplifting to know that the, the Holy Father, a few years back in 2019, um, decided to uh, institute uh, an entire Sunday dedicated uh, to the Word of God. And he's keeping in line with so many popes before him, uh, Pope Benedict, uh, John Paul II, uh, you know, all the way back to, you know, Pius X and Benedict XV. I mean, all these pontiffs in the last century plus have encouraged Catholics to study the Bible, to read the Holy Scriptures. In fact, um, I I wanted to share with you uh, paragraph 133 uh, from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which I think really sums it up, uh, William. And it says, quote, The Church forcefully and specifically exhorts all the Christian faithful to learn the surpassing knowledge of Jesus Christ by frequent reading of the divine Scriptures. And again, it quotes St. Jerome, Ignorance of the Scriptures is ignorance of Christ. 
that's a super important reminder for all of us, and this is what I think Pope Francis is trying to get us to do uh, with this Word of God uh, Sunday. Without a doubt, and what a great point that you bring up there. As you point out, the Holy Father really, really wants us to dive into sacred scripture, to really learn what the Word of God has to say. And the reason being, as you know very well, John, the Bible is a Catholic book, and he knows that we are living in a time, tumultuous times, where Catholics, they've got to know their scriptures. And, well, they really should know them, because there's nothing to fear opening up the Bible. It's a Catholic book taught by Catholics, when we read the New Testament, you're reading the fulfillment of everything that was prophesied in the Old Testament, and they're teaching Catholic things. So really, this is the message of the Holy Father. And as you pointed out, John, so many popes, even before Pope Francis, have always emphasized not only really reading Holy Scripture, but really delving in and really, really just consuming the Word of God. And really, as you pointed out, the great St. Jerome is such a magnificent example of one that upheld the truth found in sacred scripture. Uh, It's such a great reminder, such a great point uh, that the Bible is a Catholic book. And I mean, that's a whole show topic in and of itself that we've actually addressed uh, in in the past. I I think that Catholics still have a ways to go to really internalize that truth, that it it is our book. It's a Catholic book. But for you as a former Protestant uh, and now a Catholic convert, um, can you talk about, from your perspective, uh, the importance of sacred scripture? Without a doubt, John, when I was a Protestant, I used to think that we were the ones that really, truly, truly loved and defended sacred scripture. Not to say that our evangelical friends don't, but when you stop and you realize that really the fullness of the truth, a complete Bible can only be found within the Catholic faith. That is when you stop and you realize, hey, we're the ones that have protected, vouchsafed, and defended the complete word of God through all of these centuries, and that is something Catholics have got to be proud of. They've got to be thrilled about it. Not only that, but the manner, as you put it out in, in, in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, the way it talks about sacred scripture and the way it says that the church to whom the transmission and interpretation of revelation is entrusted in paragraph 82, that really is the model of what sacred scripture lays out because the Bible itself tells you the pillar and foundation of truth is the church. So if you want to call any religion, any faith, a Bible-based faith, you're going to say it is the Catholic faith because we really do love and really do take all of sacred scripture at face value. When it comes to uh, scripture, can you talk a little bit about what we have in common with our evangelical uh, brothers and sisters and other Protestants? Without a doubt, we have a lot in common. That really is an amazing thing, John, because at times our evangelical friends may say, well, you know, you Catholics view Scripture at a lo- in a lower status than we do, and that really couldn't be further from the truth, because Catholics view the Bible as the inerrant Word of God. That's correct, the inerrant Word of God, and we share the truth that we believe that Scripture has historical truths to be found within, and of course, moral truths as well. So we share a lot in common with our evangelical friends, another thing that we share in common is we have a lot of books that are, that are the same. For instance, evangelicals have 66 books 
in their Bible. Now, we have a few more equals out to about 72 or 73, depending on how you number them. But we have a lot in common. And I think that really should be the starting ground as to where we can begin talking about sacred scripture, John. It reminds me, uh, I remember hearing a, a while back uh, another uh, Catholic apologist who uh, talked about, you know, Bible thumpers. You know, he, he was a former Protestant, and he, he loved the idea that he could uh, thump uh, 66 books of the Bible. Well, he became a Catholic, and now he has many more books. He's got 73 books to thump, a fatter Bible. <laughs> That is correct. Not only a fatter Bible, but as Catholics love to point out, and rightly so, a complete Bible. And that really is something to be very proud of as Catholics. We need to become more familiar with the Bible. And I think that really is the incredible message of Pope Francis. What he wants is he wants evangelization. He wants people to become more familiar with the Word of God. He wants people to become more spiritual, and he wants people to grow closer to our Lord. That is why he is really, really emphasized reading the Word of God, and he's really following the examples of many other popes before him all throughout the centuries, as you pointed out, John. And I've got to emphasize, even if it's a few passages every day, don't, do not be afraid. Even if you just want to start off with the Gospels, open up your Bible. You should own a good Catholic Bible, and don't let it get dusty. Absolutely. Now, you, you mentioned uh, that uh, we, uh, we have a lot in common with our evangelical brothers and sisters. We Both Catholics and evangelicals believe that the Bible is the inerrant Word of God. We also have one other thing in common. We believe that it is the inspired Word of God. Can you talk about the role of the Holy Spirit uh, as uh, the inspiration and, and really the author of Scripture? Without a doubt, and that comes directly from 2 Timothy 3, where we read that all Scripture is theopneustos. That means God-breathed. So you're right. We believe that the Word of God is also inspired. It is God-breathed. And that is something that we share with our evangelical friends. So at the end of the day, we have so much in common, John. And people may think, well, you know, there are so many differences between each faith. Well, there are differences, but we have starting points where we can come to the table and fellowship and dialogue about these differences and perhaps show them a complete Catholic Bible really is the best way to go. And really the best and only way we truly recommend reading scripture is from a complete Catholic Bible. Absolutely. And uh, Vatican II, in its dogmatic constitution, Dave Verbum, says, quote, We frequently risk separating sacred scripture and sacred tradition without understanding that together they are the one source of uh, revelation. Uh, and again, we are Bible-believing uh, Catholics, uh, but we also understand the role of sacred tradition. Without a doubt, what a great point that you bring up there, John, because just as paragraph 82 of the Catechism tells you, it says both scripture and tradition must be accepted and honored with equal sentiments of devotion and reverence. We have got to remember you cannot separate both of them, and they are vitally important. Indeed, John, as you know very well, it is because of sacred tradition that we know which books belong in the Bible, and that is vitally important. And you need sacred tradition to know that, and that is what is beautiful and magnificent about being a Catholic. We have that sacred tradition. Without that sacred tradition, we wouldn't even know what the four Gospels are. 
uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John uh, without sacred tradition? Without a doubt, we wouldn't even know that. And because of sacred tradition, not only do we know that those four Gospels are inspired, they are God-breathed, and no other Gospels belong in the Bible but those four. But we also know because of sacred tradition, as you pointed out, John, we know the names of the authors. And throughout history, beginning from the very earliest times, the early church knew the identities of those authors. And because of sacred tradition, we can lay our heads softly in the pillow and realize, guess what? We know this and we can be sure of this about our apostolic faith. Great stuff. We're going to take a short break as we continue my conversation on the Word of God with our resident Catholic apologist, William Albrecht. So stay with us. There's much more to come here on Morning Air after this timeout. This is Morning Air, your home for faith, fun, and news in the morning on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales. Thanks so much uh, for joining us. Uh, Today is also the Feast of Saints Timothy and Titus, the companions of St. Paul, who was so passionate about uh, Scripture. Uh, Here is the second part of my conversation with Catholic apologist William Albrecht about the Word of God and the importance of Scripture for everyday Catholics. William, before the break, uh, we, we uh, uh, alluded to the importance of, uh, of sacred tradition, that it goes with sacred scripture, as Dave Erbum, uh teaches us. Uh, we actually have a call uh, that I uh, would like to bring into our conversation. Uh, Dan is joining us this morning uh, from Las Vegas. Good morning, Dan. Uh, welcome to Morning Air. Hey, thanks for letting me come on. Uh, listening to your uh narrative on sacred scripture and sacred tradition, the question I have um, regarding your statement of they have to both line up, I, I agree. If they have to both line up in the Bible, the five places that people were baptized, it was done in the name of Jesus, not in the titles. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, why don't the Catholics line up with scripture there? Yeah, great question, Dan. So uh, there's a very important thing that we need to realize. First off, when it's talking about a the baptism in the name of Jesus, it's the kind of baptism that is to be done. That's not the actual formula, Dan. Now, this is the important part of sacred tradition, because we can actually look and see, okay, well, is this merely my opinion? Or is this the opinion of the early church as well, those that were taught and trained by the apostles? And we find out that the unanimous teaching of the early church is that exactly that the formula can be found in Matthew chapter 28. Now, what is the formula of baptism? It is to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit found in Matthew chapter 28. And you find this being the unanimous teaching of the early church So here's the important thing, Dan. We realize that in the early church, there are a number of tiny tea traditions that you find. For instance, St. Basil liked to turn a certain direction when praying, but we call this a tiny tea. Well, what would we label a big tea? Well, just like 2 Thessalonians says, therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold to the traditions which you were taught, either by word of mouth or by letter. Well, this is talking about the paradosis, a 
sacred tradition. And an example of this, Dan, would be the canon of Scripture. So once the church gathered in council early on, in particular the North African councils, you have the church gathering, speaking on these books. This becomes constant throughout church history, throughout all of the centuries, getting the stamp of approval by pope after pope after pope. This is an example of a sacred tradition. So I think we need to really differentiate, and we need to not only read the Holy Bible, we need to read the Bible through the lens of the early church, those that were vouchsafed with the ability to interpret properly. And when we do that, we realize that baptism has always been a Trinitarian formula in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Dan, I, I hope that helps. Uh, there's so much more that we can talk about when it comes to sacred tradition. Uh, William, uh, as, as you mentioned, you know, without sacred tradition, we don't know uh, the names of the four Gospels. We don't know how many books there are in the New Testament. Why 27? Why not 30? Why not 25? Uh, how do we know uh, authoritatively which are the books of the Old Testament? All of this comes to us f- through sacred tradition. Well, John, another thing that I like to point out is that uh, people tend to think and they hear, well, we've got four Gospels. Well, in the early church, there were many more circulating. What about the Gospel of Peter? What about even, even people say, well, how ludicrous the Gospel of Peter or the Gospel of Judas? The fact of the matter is there are many other pseudonymous Gospels. Why don't those make the cuts? At the end of the day, John, it's because of church authority, church tradition. Because those early church fathers recognized those other Gospels to be spurious. But I have to ask our evangelical friends, by what authority do they come to the table and say that those Gospels do not belong in the Bible? I have to say, the only church that has the ability to do that truly is the Catholic Church. Because the Catholic Church is very clear, only those four Gospels are authentic. The other ones are not authentic. How do they know that? Because all of the particular churches that were part of the one apostolic body rejected those other Gospels. And that is a clear example of living sacred tradition, a very clear example. And uh, even though as Catholics we are uh, Bible Christians, uh, we don't uh, go by the Bible alone or uh, sola scriptura, as our evangelical Protestant friends uh, describe it. Uh, Can you explain why uh, the Bible alone is not our rule of faith for us Catholics? What a great, great point there, John. I think the most important thing is if our evangelical friends want to really look at what sacred scripture teaches and base themselves off of sacred scripture. Well, the Bible itself doesn't teach that the scripture alone is the only authoritative source for faith and morals. Rather, we know that the pillar and foundation of truth is the church. So if we stick to what the scripture itself teaches, you don't have a Bible alone approach. And even at that, John, we have to be very careful because How do we get to the actual list of books that belong in the Bible by using the Bible-only criteria? It is impossible to do that. I'd add another thing. We know that our evangelical friends agree, even the Reformers agree, that Revelation stopped. It ended at the death of the last apostle. Well, where do you find that explicitly laid out in Scripture? You don't. At the end of the day, we need sacred tradition. They go hand in hand, as you pointed out, as Dave Verbum points out. And without sacred tradition, John, I have to argue, really, the veracity of the Bible 
it falls apart. And it's a dangerous, dangerous path to go down if you abandon sacred tradition. And that was our resident Catholic apologist, William Albrecht, the author of The Definitive Guide to Solving Biblical Questions About Mary, Mary Among the Evangelists. Uh, For much more, you can visit his outstanding website. It's called patristicpillars.com. I want to bring in my partner, uh, Glenn. Uh, Glenn, this is a topic you know I'm passionate about. I know you love Scripture. You always uh, bring in the Word of God at the uh, tail end of your story corners. Uh, As a former Lutheran, and can you share with us, uh, from your perspective, why it's important uh, for us to become much more familiar uh, with the Bible, with the Word of God? Well, the Scripture has always been a, a basic part of faith, and I think uh, for Catholics that might not have grown up with a strong tradition of reading Scripture, to, to realize you're already way more familiar with it than you think uh, from all the Scripture that we have in Mass and Rosary. But uh, it's partly, you get into a good habit, and it can help uh, even picking up the daily readings. The USCCB website has those if you can't make it to daily Mass and get a little chunk every day. Many read through the Bible in a year programs. Uh, Father Michael Schmitz has a, a podcast going through the Bible, and now the Catechism in a year as well, and uh, some of the most popular podcasts that exist right now, which is really good news. But then, you know, if it's the first time you're diving in depth to some of that, you you get hungry for it and you start reading ahead of your little schedule and uh, it can be great. I remember in my early 20s kind of doing one of those read through the the Bible in a year programs, which I've done and succeeded at times, but not every year (laughs) over time. But, uh, you know, the first time really diving into it, uh, you know, just getting touched by certain things and, and reading ahead and not just checking it off as a chore, but just encouragement to not be afraid and uh, to, to dive in little bits at a time, and it'll it'll make sense when you kind of have a, an idea of the structure of uh, of Scripture and uh, how it fits together in a timeline. Again, uh, Jeff Cabin's Bible Timeline program. I was one of those just thinking to, about him to look in, in up. Fact, yeah, yeah, guys like Jeff Cabin's and Dr. Scott Hahn, these uh, former uh, evangelical uh, Protestant ministers, and there's literally thousands of them that have come into the Catholic Church in recent years. I think that they're uh, really helping to to motivate to us uh, uh, everyday uh, cradle Catholics about the importance of the Word of God. After all, as we talked about uh, with William Albrecht, uh, it is a Catholic book, and so we, we should cherish it, we should study it, we should uh, really meditate on it, and, uh, you know, I think you bring up a really good point. And, uh, oftentimes, we don't realize just how much Scripture we get just by going to Mass. Uh, you know, if you, go, if you get a chance to go to Mass every day, you get a ton of Scripture. Every day, o- over a course of three years, you get a, a huge chunk of the Bible, and of course every Sunday uh, with the readings. And so uh, we just need to continue to become much more uh, familiar uh, with, with Scripture and, uh, and appreciate that it is, it is a Catholic book. You know, and it's ever, ever alive, too. Uh, you can read something many different times, and it might hit you differently, uh, you know, one year or one month from the time you read that particular passage previously or even years before. Don't just think, oh, I know the story, and, and that's the end of the story. I mean, you're going to hear the story of all the great Old Testament stories, uh, the heroes of, uh, of, of our faith, uh, the Gospels, and then such great practical advice for living in the, the New Testament epistle writings from St. Paul and St. Peter and, and all of those, and you'll, you'll hear it differently at different points in life. It might sink in a little better. It certainly will at certain times. And kind of like we talk on the radio, John, about hearing just what you need to hear, just when you need to hear it, thanks to the Holy Spirit, uh, the Word of God works the same way, too. Sometimes you'll run into exactly what you need to hear, exactly when you need to hear it. And I think the, the main point is don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to explore. 
Absolutely. And uh, I think you, bringing up the Holy Spirit is, is really important. I, I think that uh, if we keep in mind that uh, ultimately the Holy Spirit is the author of sacred scripture, as, as our catechism teaches us, as, as our faith teaches us. Uh, and so I, I think that invoking the Holy Spirit uh, to, to help us uh, to not only read it, but to pray uh, scripture, I think, is, is a good thing. Just a simple little prayer like, come Holy Spirit, uh, can really help us to enlighten our minds and our intellects to, to help us to understand exactly what we're, uh, we're, we're reading. And being familiar, John, with Scripture uh, pays dividends through the years uh, in terms of attaching Scripture to our story corner stories every day. I'll, I'll see a story, and then a, a piece of Scripture will come to mind. I'll look it up and get the entire thing to get it get it correct. But you don't, you know, if you can memorize things, that's great. If you can't, don't worry about it. You'll you'll remember bits, and they'll come back to you in times of need. Well, speaking of story corner, it is time for yet another episode of Glenn's Story Corner. Our story today called Loyalty Matters from Joy Abel. My dad has bees. Today I went to his house and he showed me all the honey that he'd gotten from the hives. He took the lid off a five-gallon bucket full of honey and on top of the honey were there were three little bees that were struggling. They were covered in sticky honey and drowning. I asked him if we could help them and he said he was sure they wouldn't survive. Casualties of honey collection, I suppose. I asked him again if we could at least get them out and kill them quickly. After all, he was the one who taught me to put a suffering animal or bug out of its misery. He finally conceded and scooped the bees out of the bucket. He put them in an empty yogurt container and put the plastic container outside. Because he disrupted the hive with the earlier honey collection, there were bees flying all over outside. We put the three little bees in the container on a bench and left them to their fates. My dad called me out a little while later to show me what was happening. These three little bees were surrounded by all their sisters, all the bees there being female, and they were cleaning the sticky, nearly dead bees, helping them to get all the honey off of their bodies. And we came back a short time later, and there was only one little bee left in the container, still being tended to by her sisters. When it was time for me to leave, we checked one last time, and all three of the bees had been cleaned off enough to fly away, and the container was empty. Those three little bees lived because they were surrounded by family and friends who would not give up on them. Family and friends who refused to let them drown in their own stickiness and resolved to help them until the last little bee could be set free. Be sisters, be peers, be teammates. We all could learn a thing or two from these bees. Be kind, always. Colossians 3.12 says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. As always, uh, thanks so much uh, again, uh, Glenn, for another uplifting story corner. Coming up next hour, Catholic children's author Gracie Jagla will join us to discuss how children's books can be used to form kids in the faith and are a parent's best friend to teaching the faith. Plus, our spiritual director, Father James Kabicki, will be with us again to tell us what we can learn from Saints Timothy and Titus, who we are honoring today. So stay with us. There's much more to come in the final hour of Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. <laughs> 